to Big Business Briefs with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week we're talking about customer service, or rather, bad customer service. And I don't know why it is, Heather, but this article um, from 2019 stood out for me recently. Oh, I do know. I know exactly why it is. There seems to be just a a constant stream of bad customer service around at the moment. And the thing that's been annoying me more than anything is this blaming COVID. Can't use that as an excuse anymore, surely. Well, and you can still answer the phone with COVID. Yeah. It's not. You're isolated enough, aren't you? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But this article goes on to suggest, um, it says, why is customer service so bad? Because it's profitable. And this article is suggesting that there's a reason why a financial benefit in not delivering great customer service. Now, just one thing before we go on. I don't actually think this article is about customer service. No, I, I think, think it's about call centre, isn't it? And yeah, and, and hand complaint handling. Yeah. And I think they're two very different things. I do. I agree as well. Now, our experience of service recently hasn't been brilliant. We've been to a number of uh, hospitality places where it's not so great over the last 12 months or so and and at first you sort of I, yeah okay I understand we're just coming back from lockdown and everything but if it keeps going on you sort of do get a little bit jaded with it don't you and uh, you do and I think the thing that really makes it stand out is we've been to a few places together haven't we, where, where yeah. the service has been outstanding and, and it that really makes it shines a light on the, the ones yeah. that are, are falling short Yes, we. my husband and I were somewhere the other day trying to get a new gas bottle for our barbecue. And we'd got a Cala gas bottle and we got a flow gas bottle. And we weren't quite sure. We knew we needed a different adapter, a different regulator. So we walked into a place that sells Cala gas or gas with both of the cylinders. And the, before we'd even had a chance to open our mouths, the guy behind the counter went, that's not a Cala gas uh, bottle I, I I can't I can't do anything with that and we were like yeah okay we were going to ask you a question about it so <laughs> it was awful and it, I mean luckily my husband didn't didn't react in the way that he might often react um <laughs> by like just walking out but we, so we we continued with the the customer experience and then we, when we got in the car we were like that was shocking that was terrible. There was no good morning, good afternoon or anything. It was just straight into, it's like, that's bad customer service. Yeah. No yeah, two ways about it. Yeah. Um, let's get on to this article, though, because we could rant and moan about some bad customer service we've had just recently. So this <laughs> article is in um, Harvard Business Review, one of our favourite uh, places for, for a good article. Like I say, it's from 2019. So, Pre-COVID, February 2019, a whole 13 months before the UK went into lockdown. Um, And it's entitled, Why is Customer Service So Bad? Because it's profitable. Um, Yes, you're right. It's about um, call centre complaints handling, isn't it? But it's a really interesting little story. It was basically saying that it's designed that way. Bad call centre claims handling particularly over um, telephone, is is actually planned that way for a very good reason. Were you surprised to read that? 
Well, when I when I started reading the article, then I could see absolutely why it makes sense. You know what they're what they're suggesting, because they're they're heavily reliant on people getting sick of being on hold, and so they sort of do it in three stages where. There'll be a third of people who will drop off just because they've lost the will to live because they've been on hold for so long. And then, as we all know, then there's the you've got to say it all again to somebody. And so they're talking about people literally just dropping off. So the ones that you actually finally have to do something to recompense them in some way, shape or form, you've kind of got rid of 66 percent of the people who've got a complaint. Yeah, um, and the article was saying pretty much along the lines that um, the companies are planning it in that way so that a certain number, only the ones that are really tenacious will bother yes. staying on. And that way they know that they're the ones that they really have to deal with properly because they've yeah. bothered to hold on. Um, and so they focus their effort and their resources, um, i.e. money, and, and, and ways to make good the problems on those few that have abided their time <laughs> yeah and they're the people so so a lot of people self deselect themselves from that part of the process because they go okay what you know what's and I think it will have something to do with value so if you've got a lot of people who've got a complaint that's worth 20 quid okay they're probably more likely to drop off because they'll go I've spent, you know, I've spent four hours on the phone for the sake of 20 quid. I'll give up. Whereas if it's a higher value item, you're more likely to stay. But even then, there'll come a tipping point when you lose, you literally lose the will to live and you're not prepared to waste any more of your day because we're all so time poor. Yeah, so it's, it's quite a science, but it's like a tiered thing, isn't it? Uh, the article also addressed something that I, I wondered as I started reading it. Surely these companies are ashamed or concerned about their reputation, you know, but bothered about losing customers. But actually, the, the article addresses that and says that actually these are big companies, you know, airlines, internet companies, television service providers, where they're so big that actually it's cheaper for them to, to just let let that bad thing happen than to deal with it because they're not going to lose any customers or market share yeah and I think the other thing is that I, I think part of it is they work on the basis that if somebody is already cheesed off you've probably lost them as a customer anyway so let them go what have you got, what, exactly what have you got to lose if somebody's motivated enough to complain probably okay. So my big question here now is then we're, we're, we're talking, um, we, we generally talk about what, what is the implication of this for business. So if you're in business and, and you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, does that mean that I can do crap customer service then? What, what are your thoughts on that, Heather? Would you say that there are companies that can, can actually follow this model and weed out the, the complainers that aren't really going to make a difference? Well, I think... I think it I think it depends massively on on what your product is, what the competition is doing, uh, because, you know, there'll be a bit of peer pressure. And also there's managing people's expectations and people's expectations have escalated quite a bit as a result of COVID. We've talked about this before. Um, so customers are more demanding. 
but I uh, but I, I go back to what I said originally this model isn't about customer service it's about dealing with complaints so things have already gone wrong and good customer service is trying to reduce the number of times when things do go wrong and that and they're two very different things so if you're going to if you're going to be shoddy and slapdash with the quality of your product and the service that you're delivering well okay you deserve to fail <laughs> because you know because that's just wrong on so many levels so do you yeah, want anyway. to tell the associate professor of marketing at the university of southern california and the associate professor of marketing at the university of minnesota that they need to change the title of their article well i could do but but i probably won't they might put you on hold yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and of course this is just my opinion but 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 it's terminology isn't it it's semantics but um yeah, i might drop them an email see if uh, if i get a response but or maybe fair, i'll send them three to be fair it was the title that attracted us to the article so if they'd have said why is poor complaints handling through call centers so bad because it's profitable we might not have been as attracted or maybe we would i don't know yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, yes, I don't know. I don't know. This um, was an interesting statistic that um, in America, because the article was written by American professors, um, American consumers spend on average 13 hours per year in a queue on telephone. Yeah. Wow. Um, a third of complaining customers must make two or more calls to resolve their complaint. So. 13 hours that's that's almost two working days isn't it yeah two full working days out of your year on hold just yeah and there's no guarantee that at the end of that you're going to get the outcome that you wanted no absolutely not and and at the moment i mean you know um they were talking about um in this article, they talk about United Airlines, who um, rank really low in terms of their customer service, um, even though they claim that they deliver great customer service. So <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily get, they're not backing it up, putting their money where their mouth is. And using the airline industry as an example, lots of people are receiving really bad customer service. Yeah, I think this, the sad thing is that um, at the moment, politicians are getting, getting away with lying, you know, yeah. like like bare-faced lies. And I think companies are doing it now and just like, so who's going to challenge us? What are you going to do about it? Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's a good look, I really. I mean, as um, having run owner-managed businesses, it wouldn't be something that I'd be happy to be owning. But yeah again that's my opinion yeah I, I think the other thing is that the larger the organization the easier it is to dodge accountability good point yeah because you, you can hide behind a, a name a departmental name yeah 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 it's and and you know how many people British Airways, for example, how many people would need to get together to make a big complaint that would actually um do any damage to their rep their reputation because they have so many customers whereas if you're a small um retail company or a small restaurant independent 
one person slagging you off in a small pond, it, it has the potential to have more impact. So, yeah. um, you know, negative impact. Yeah. In the same way that a positive review has more impact in a smaller business. Yeah. So. Well, we, we've we've talked about um, so the TripAdvisor type review websites before, yeah. haven't we? And how that can have um, massive impacts on on small businesses. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was an interesting article. I know it's a few years old, but I, I still think it was worth discussing, um, and it caught our eye because of poor customer service experiences. What can yep. we say? <laughs> what can we say? So the review this week. Um, I've lost track of how we came to find. Did we decide that we would have a look at a TED talk? Yeah, we had a look at the TED talk and looked at a recent one, and one caught my eye, and it was talking about mindset, um, and in particular, a uh, high level mindset. And it wasn't a phrase we were familiar with before, so and we just went, okay, let's have a look at that. What is high level mindset, and who is this person that's talking about it? And we're so down with the kids that we'd never heard of the person who was talking about it. Oh, I know so many hip hop artists, Heather. Really wow. do. No, I don't. Uh, no, no. Um, even when I started to look at work that he's done with people, I was like, well, I haven't heard of them either. Um, <laughs> so, so the guy's name is Corday. Corday? I think so, Corday. Yeah. And, and he's an American hip hop artist. Yeah. No, I, I think fair dues to... Um, a hip-hop artist doing a TED Talk. You, you don't normally expect to see a hip-hop artist on the stage. But then again, we do tend to look more at the businessy ones. So I don't know, there might be Ted a Penny on them, on, on the TED Talk's website. Uh, and, and at first I was a bit like, oh, he's not saying anything new. But then I thought, actually, and I don't know if you had the same thought, he's not speaking to me. He's speaking to the people who know him yeah a hip-hop artist yeah who are more of his age who perhaps haven't heard that sort of journey before so he's talking to a whole other generation of people and he's telling them a tried and tested technique that worked for him so that they can connect with him not with the middle-aged woman or man that's telling a story yeah. that they maybe don't associate themselves with yeah I yeah I think you're absolutely right and you've hit the nail on the head there but but the, the, I think the interesting thing was when we looked at we were like oh what what is the high level mindset um and it, you know he says it's a philosophy it's a wavelength to apply to your everyday thoughts and, and regimen and he's like okay so when we first heard of it we thought this must be a thing but actually it's only a thing in as much that he has started talking about it and he's got yeah. he's got a website and it and it, it, it it's it's like a movement isn't it he's sort of invented he hasn't invented but isn't that the same yeah isn't that the same as all the gurus we've talked about in the past they they write maybe an article for something some some journal and then that article is becomes a talk and then that talk becomes a book and then that book becomes a course and then they become the guru and, and then so it goes on so that whatever it is becomes a thing because they make it a thing in just the yeah. same way as this guy yeah yeah no yeah you're right yeah you're right and okay he's I mean he was born in 1997 so you know he, 
God, I feel old. I know. <laughs> I know. It's just so he he is young, and you're right. He he's he's accessing people through a different medium, through a different platform. Um, and and one of the things that he talks about is he says that it was actually his mum that invented high level mindset because she had certain um, codes of conduct and ways of approaching things that rubbed off on him. Yeah, she um, didn't give him that, give it that name. No, but he he learned from her. Yeah, yeah, and he he coined he coined the phrase, and um, and you're right. Yeah, it's not rocket science, but as you say, if you haven't heard it before, well, it, it's probably interesting. If somebody that you admire and you think of, you respect, and you think of as you know on your wavelength, shares the information with you. Yeah, I mean, if if you asked a a, a teenager um, whether they want to listen to um, a middle aged white middle class man talking about something that they think is ancient history, or they want to listen to a successful hip hop, that's really hard for Stokey to say. Hip hop artist <laughs> um, who's been nominated for Grammy awards. Which one would they prefer to listen to a talk by? They're not, you know, mostly going to go for the young, sort of like trendy guy, aren't they? I guess. Well, they'll start there, won't they? If yeah, they, they might then, go. Oh, let's listen to some more TED talks. Yeah, if they wanted to delve deeper, but this because it's quite, it's only twelve minute talk, and it, it has the potential to light to light a spark, doesn't it? Yeah, that gets people thinking in a particular way. Um, which... And also that he tells a good story. He is a good storyteller. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose that's isn't that what they do? Hip hop artists. <laughs> I really don't know. I feel both old and patronizing right at this very minute. So <laughs> maybe we just need to move on, on to our uh, business profile. But if you're looking up on TED Talks, um, it's Corday, C O R D A E, and high level is spelled H I. Yeah. High level. Um, but it, it's worth 12 minutes of your time, even if it is just to realize. How um how old and uncool you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, and to look at his coat. Yeah, cool. His coat. hair and look at his coat. Yeah. But you're but, right. Our, our our um our business profile this week is something that we're much more familiar with. Well, certainly <laughs> I'm much more familiar with. And we're recording this before I've eaten my evening meal. So I actually I would really like to be familiar with this right now. Absolutely. So it I think I can hold my own when it comes to talking about fish and chips. Yep. And we started off by thinking about, and it it came about because there was, um, there's a chippy in the West Midlands somewhere that's Binley Chip Shop, Chippy, and they, um, some TikTokers wrote a song about it, and which I thought was quite funny. And then that led us to talk about fish and chips, which led us to talk about Harry Ramsden's. Of course. The, the original fish chop for... Fish chop? Fish chop? Fish chop. <laughs> fish and chip shop um, that Harry Ramsden opened was in 1928. Mm, yeah. yeah. And it was in uh, West Yorkshire. And uh, I think it, it was 
reading on their website and their history, apparently paid £150, which seems quite a lot of money, for a wooden hut near a tram stop. And that's where he opened the first fish and chip shop. And it yeah. got so good that they were delivering to all the local mills um, and uh, then opened um, an actual restaurant um, three years later. And it's come a long way since then. Yeah, have you ever been? So we'll talk about where Harry Ramsden's is now, but did you ever go to a Harry Ramsden's fish and chip restaurant when it was like Harry Ramsden's? No, sadly, sense. no. I've since had Harry Ramsden's at like service stations and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But because I, I never went to one of the original restaurants, which sound really quite, quite swanky. Yes, yeah, because I think there's 34 restaurants, but there are lots of fr like franchises, aren't there, on mm. um, on service stations and things like that. But the 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 first restaurant had chandeliers, and it was you know it was like the Ritz. Do you know the thing that really bothered me and made my teeth itch <laughs> was wall to wall fitted carpets, and all I could imagine was chips being trodden into the carpet. Yeah, and how difficult that was. But but obviously that that wasn't a problem for them. Um, but did you catch uh, also that um, Harry Ramsden's nephew was Harry Corbett, the creator of Sooty and Sweep? Yes, yeah, I did. I did see that. Um, Two famous Harrys in one family. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's nothing to say to that, is there? I know. I know. Well, well, of course, in my head, I've just gone down the whole Matthew Corbett, Harry Corbett's son, and the sooty and sweep thing. So I was just playing all of that out in my mind and Sue and all of that. <laughs> when actually, I'd like to focus more on fish and chips. Yes, let's do that. So also from their website, uh, in 1952, the restaurant broke the Guinness World Records for the most portions of fish and chips served in a day. They served 10,000 people and they, they um, had gone to celebrate the 21st birthday of the restaurant. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, that is, yeah. 10,000 people in one day. Yeah, well, the, well, I think the other thing that's quite interesting, it says that it had over 50 people frying and the local constabulary provided queue control. <laughs> and in 1952, you could imagine, you know, everybody's wanting their chips and they're wanting them now. I don't think it would be a very orderly queue without a bit of um, policing. Oh, I'm really fancying some fish chips and mushy peas now. I, I had fish and chips last night, so I can't possibly have it again tonight. Oh. However, Harry Ramsden's has been snapped up by another organisation. So it's owned by um, it's owned by Deep Blue Restaurants, um, and Deep Blue Restaurants is owned by um, Baparan Restaurant Group, which is a, a bigger entity again. But what I thought was really interesting was when I started to look at Deep Blue Restaurants, it looked like they were the, the, the I'm doing a pun here now, right? They yeah. were like the sprat that caught the mackerel because it was like a smaller group of restaurants took over the bigger Harry Ramsden's. Yeah, site. I haven't quite worked, worked out how that works. Um, 
so so you would imagine that the often you'd imagine like the big company would the whale would, would eat the yeah. rat. <laughs> yes but it seemed to be the other way around and i guess that's because of the backing from this restaurant group yeah so i i was also intrigued to see who the directors of deep blue restaurants um is yeah. And um, we've got a James Lowe and a Richard Hutchinson. And each of those are directors for a lot of companies. So James Lowe has 11 current appointments and Richard Hutchinson has 23 current appointments. Um, and, and he only had, only had time to skim through them briefly, but a lot of them are sort of eateries. Right, okay, okay. He's had in total 75. <laughs> wow. Okay. He was born in 1952. But even so, I mean, crikey, that is that is going some, isn't it? Yeah. So if you dig into their um their latest um set of accounts, so for the period ending the 28th of September 2021, I think they were just submitted at the beginning of May this year. It says that Deep Blue Restaurants Limited is the largest operator of fish and chip restaurants and takeaways in the UK and is the owner of the brands Deep Blue and Harry Ramson. So I've never heard of Deep Blue as a brand. No, no. That, and that's what I think is really interesting is that they took over such a, a well-known household name. But the other question is, if you go to the supermarket, you can buy Harry Ramsden's frozen fish. So who owns that? Deep Blue took over the brand, the name. So are they also then selling frozen produce through supermarket chains? Or is that under a different part, a, yeah. a, a different company? So, so it's under license, which of the companies, because there is also Deep Blue Restaurants, um, is also the parent company of Deep Blue Restaurant Holdings, DGH Leisure, HRFC, Cheeto South and Harry Ramsden's. So where where the actual value lies, that's quite difficult to say. Yeah, but yeah they, they've, they've got their own restaurants. They've got a number of franchise outlets and they've got licenses for um, supermarkets to sell um, branded products. It's pro I, I didn't look at any accounts. Were you able to unearth mm -hmm. what yeah. so, the value um, of the business? So, yeah, the revenue from the site, so you're looking at around £23 million in the latest accounts. Um, and they've got 45 owned operated sites. Um, and they make just uh, less than a, um, a million from revenue from franchising and letting. Now, what I was reading is that, um, that they're increasing that, so that they're going for more of the licensing. Uh, they've only got, in 2021, only 12 franchise sites, um, and that decreased from 20 in uh, 2020, uh, presumably the COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's not doing badly at all. It made a profit even in the the, the COVID years. Um, it took took a little bit of a, a dip, but nothing too horrendous. Um, just having a look at the notes on their accounts here. So, um, 
their people. So they said they came, uh, staff retention was difficult um, over the pandemic. Um, and they've looked to support their staff with newsletters. Um, now I, I love it when a company has a, a good name for things like this. Their newsletter is called Out of the Blue. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, which was encouraging training, upskilling, on-site coaching and development. So, so it was a, a real effort to retain their staff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they've been looking to increase mental health and well-being, as of all, all companies. Um, the newsletter, including tips for keeping fit and healthy and maintaining good health. Um, and they've got, again, a lot of companies have done this recently with a need to um, for staff retention purposes is they've re reviewed their staff benefits package and they, they've added in the staff discount, gym membership, et cetera, et cetera, cycle to work schemes, tech schemes. And you've seen that in all of the big companies now, they're, they're all offering. So I think they all have to step up in order to compete with each other yeah. For, these, um, yeah. for, for these valued workers. I mean, obviously it's very lucrative. I was interested to know what the the gross profit margin would be if you were running a fish and chip shop and hmrc expect it to be it could be in the region of 50 percent profit a gross so, profit yeah yeah so just the buying and selling of potatoes and fish yeah yeah mm. that's not it's not bad is it no um my, my cousin used to run a fish and chip shop many years ago uh, long was, long hours yeah yeah and and it's one of those things isn't it that people people are quite discerning about what makes good fish and chips it's not just as straightforward as you go to your local fish and chip shop people will drive to other ones oh do you know what the, the, there's a fish and chip shop in north devon that is just one of my favorites have you got a favorite yeah um one in alderborough over on the east coast Oh, I yeah, I've not been to that one. So mine is Squires in Braunton in North Devon. Right. And uh, I don't know, because it's always associated with the holiday as well. But it, it's it's a proper sit-in restaurant as well. You know, you, you go there and uh, the, I love having your chips are absolutely fresh out of the fryer, yeah. not steamed in the paper. Now, they do take away as well, but I, I love the experience of just having it there on the plate so mm. there's one in Clandidno that I go to if 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 I'm up that way and that's quite nice and that's a sit-in one yeah um Is that the one by the tram station yeah because there yes because there aren't actually that many sit-in fish and chip restaurants these days no. it's usually takeaway isn't it yeah but um but yeah they're all geared up for so I suppose yeah it's it's a, it's a British staple isn't it yeah fish and chips I'm just looking at the um, gross profit margin of uh, Deep Blue Restaurants Limited. Yeah, you, you're looking at um, over 50% here. Right, right. Yeah, so HMRC were about right. Mm. Uh, quite a lot less when you get down to the whole net profit bit, but <laughs> as is always the case. Yeah, but at least they've got the money to to be invested in their staff. And, you know, you're going to have limited... I mean, obviously... you they've got several sites haven't they because because of the volume i mean you know that doing ten thousand in a day that was quite a thing <laughs> so there's a limit 
there's a limit to how much you could actually put through a fish and chip shop. Yeah. If it was running at capacity. So you need to have lots of um, lots of little ones. Why did we start having fish and chip shops in the UK? I don't know. Do you have an answer to that one? Well, um, I think it's because people couldn't keep fish fresh. Um, and so but the fish mongers could. And so they would have it cooked. So it's fish on a Friday and all of that sort of thing, isn't it? So I think it's that, but I'm just going to Google. Okay. Um, well, while you're Googling that then, so I'm, I'll just share another um, little bit of information I, I dug out from the um, financial accounts is uh, the goodwill. So, so the uh, balance sheet of um, blue, deep blue restaurants is yes. uh, 11 million. And actually, um, the majority of that does appear to be um, goodwill. Oh, okay. Um, so let's have a look at the goodwill. Goodwill is worth, um, as at tw uh, 28th of September 2021, was worth just over 11 and a half million pounds. So you, you know the concept of goodwill on, on a balance sheet. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the difference between what the assets are worth and what you actually pay for it. And you yeah. tend to say it's um, to do with the brand name and, and, and the perceived value of the business. So that's quite a, a lot of value in uh, an intangible asset there. But the fact that we know the name, I'm guessing most of that is to do with Harry Ramsden's. Yes. Or maybe I'm missing something in terms of Deep Blue. Well, Harry and that's what, again, that's what I find really interesting that you'd expect a household name like Harry Ramsden's to consume a lesser known label but maybe that's just the name of the company and they actually have because looking at some of the directors you know they own little calves all around the country yeah. so maybe it's that within that there's ABC fish and chips and XYZ fish and chips and you know yeah, so so a whole um whole collection of them where, where yes. we paid for the brand now this is goodwill is something and we're talking about reputation this is really something that companies have to pay attention to if they've got a high value of the balance sheet is goodwill then um, that's subject to um, impairment losses so if your if your brand and your reputation is damaged that goodwill will be revalued in your next accounts and it's tested annually for impairment so if, if you're um, that 11 and a half million pounds is um, is subject to some awful news story that's come out about the brand, you're going to find that suddenly the value of your business is um, decimated. So that's like where reputation is important. Yeah. Like bad customer service. Well, if it becomes a big enough story. Yeah. 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 Yeah, interesting. And, and when when they do the calculate the um, impairment losses, they're going to take all of that into account. Yeah. Um, IAS thirty six. It is um, that specifies that impairment is determined by comparing the carrying amount of the asset with the recoverable amount of the asset. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, essentially, if if you ruin your your brand reputation that's going to take a hit i didn't know that so what did you find out in on your google search about where we have fish and chip shops in the uk well it turns out that what i thought was totally wrong 
Um, <laughs> which it won't be the first, won't be the first time, won't be the last time. Um, fried fish was brought to the UK by Spanish and Portuguese refugees during the 16th century. So the idea of frying fish um, was um, was something that they introduced. What about uh, batter? Well, that I don't know. Now you're asking me. Like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Hang on. Who invented? No, who invented battered chips? Ooh. Well, that's like a scallop. I love a scallop, but it's a battered flat piece of potato. Gosh, I'm so hungry now. <laughs> I think we're just going to have to end the recording. I need to come and get something to eat. <laughs> we'll save it for another day to find out the origins of fish and chips in the UK. Yeah, well, maybe we could combine that with an outing where we go to uh, Harry Ramsden's and eat fish and chips. Yeah, let you into a little secret, dear listener, is that often if I'm recording with Heather and actually now we're separated, we're doing this over Zoom again. Um, not because either of us are ill, but just because my daughter's gone to prom and I've had to deal with prom things. Um, but sometimes on the way back from Heather's office, I'll drive through um, a little village on the way back that's got a chip shop and I'll buy myself a couple of potato fritters, which are basically, if you if you don't know a fritter or a scallop, it's a slice of potato with batter on it, deep fried. It's one of my favourite things ever. <laughs> it was a nice bit of salt and vinegar and I now so wish I was in the same place as you so I could just drive through that same village and just accidentally stop there on the way back. <laughs> New car is on autopilot. Yeah. It's like, are we not are we not turning here? Are we not turning here? <laughs> For a pound, I can get two decent pieces of scallop. Very nice. Oh dear. Oh. I'm just heading for an evening of disappointment now, anyway. So on that note. <laughs>